Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've all had time to digest what happened yesterday. We've got the calculators out, we've got the spreadsheets organised, we've spoken to our accountants, we've roped in the consultants and we've even had a word with the bank manager and there's only one conclusion that we can all draw. Yes, that's right, the palace is definitely at war with the Duke and Duchess of Netflix. That's right, those upstart Californians, Haz and Megs, have dropped themselves right in the brown stuff by kicking off with Oprah Winfrey in the big tell-all interview while leaving behind them a trail of destruction at Kensington Palace amid claims of bullying, freeloading and wearing jewellery gifted to them from despots around the world. This morning, things have gone from bad to worse as US TV network CBS has issued a clip of Meghan Markle claiming that the royal family, and by that she means the Queen, ladies and gentlemen, told falsehoods about us. Nobody cares, Ms Markle. Nobody gives a stuff what you think. Nobody gives a damn. That falsehoods were told about you. What do you mean? Falsehoods were told like you were a nice person. Falsehoods were told about how good the wedding was and how nice it was that the taxpayers paid for it. I mean, seriously, are we in high school? Are we in an episode of Beverly Hills 90210? I'm going to poll for you this morning because I'm sick to death of this pair of freeloading wallies. I say not only do we strip them from the royal family, not only do we take away all royal connections, not only do we tell them, no thanks, don't bother coming back to the UK, we strip them right now, today, of British citizenship. You can vote on the Talk Radio Twitter account, at Talk Radio. You can also vote on our YouTube uh, stream, which is going live right now. We will be checking in with a host of guests this morning on this constitutional crisis. Surely this kind of attack on our most treasured tradition must mean that has and Megs are not only longer members of the royal family, but no longer members of this great nation of ours either, the United Kingdom. And don't give me any cobblers about how, oh, Meghan's not actually a citizen. She's married to a member of the royal family, therefore she could be a citizen if she wanted to be. I say, no chance, don't let them. And you can take little Archie with you as well. He can't be a British citizen either. 0344 499 1000. See how you like them falsehoods, sweetheart. George Pascoe Watson kicks us off with his take on Rishi Sunak's budget as well. Uh, economist Ruth Lee will tell us if it's going to work. Helen Dale is here as well with her Commonwealth take on the royal family and how important it is. And Howard Cox will explain why most of us have survived to drive another day. 
uh, with fuel duty being frozen. 0344 499 1000. As ever, of course, we need to hear from you. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? Where are you going? Lewis McLeod joins us with his impressions of the SNP Omni Shambles up there in Edinburgh. Celebrity chef Cyrus Tony Waller will tell us what the budget means for his restaurant business. And LaDonna Harvey is here too with news that Texas and several other American states have fully reopened and removed any requirement to wear masks. How about that then? 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Let us kick off this very explosive show because it is Thursday and I'm feeling absolutely right up for it. Uh, George Pascoe Watson, Chairman of Portland Communications and former political editor of The Sun. George, very good morning to you. Thank you, morning, Mike. You are bang up for it this morning. I really am. And listen, we're going to talk about Rishi Sunak and the budget in a moment. But what do you make of my plan to strip these two bozos of their British citizenship? Well, I think you won't be alone. And uh, I think some of the feeling that you're uh, communicating there might be uh, matched uh, in Buckingham Palace this morning because it's very, very unusual, in my experience and yours, for the palace to hit back. And last night they hit back with a real uh, right, uh, a right fist. They did. Because that was them saying... There will be an inquiry into bullying claims. Now, normally this sort of thing would be swept under the carpet or, or dealt with privately. But for them to issue uh, a statement saying we take this very seriously uh, is dynamite. Yeah, it really is extraordinary, isn't it? And people say, oh, it's only tittle-tattle. It's not anything that we should be concerned about. This is quite a serious constitutional issue in my view now. Well, I think that there's definitely going to be questions in and around uh, government to say, does this, in fact, become a constitutional issue? Now, for now, I think probably uh, people are holding their judgment on that. But there's no question that uh, when you are in a situation where serious uh, accusations have been levelled uh, at a former royal couple, uh, you know, the Queen's uh, grandson and his wife, uh, then I think that is something which is on a wholly new level. Uh, bullying in the workplace is, of course, a very, very serious issue, uh, depend, not regardless of who carries it out. Right. Um, and uh, the Times story by Val Lowe yesterday was meticulously researched, uh, and it quite clearly there, there appears to be at least a case to examine. Mm. Uh, and I think that that's, that does cause real questions uh, about whether it's a constitutional issue. And more worrying as well is that not so much, as often is the case here, the act of bullying itself, but uh, Harry's attempts to kind of shut it down begging people not to report it, begging people not to say anything, asking people to please keep their mouth shut. I mean, that, you could say, uh, is tantamount to conspiracy. Well, of course, we don't know the ins and outs of it, and I, and I couldn't comment on, on that. But what I can say is that it's, uh, it is a very serious issue, and uh, I think a, an inquiry, if one is held, will be excruciating uh, for all involved. And, of course, this comes with the background of the Duke of Edinburgh uh, plainly, uh, you know, very, very poorly in hospital. I'm glad to hear this morning that some good news about a heart operation, but by and large, a man of his age, 99, very, very old and very frail. And uh, this could come at literally no worse a time uh, as the royal family and the nation actually looks towards him and, and his recovery, uh, hopefully. And I think that uh, the timing of their interview is really unfortunate. Of course, once you do a big interview like they've done with Oprah Winfrey, the timing of the um, what we call the, the, the sort of the, 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 the communication around the interview, if you like, 
is out of their hands and they can't stop the pre-publicity happening and, and it's happening all around them and it, and it just leaves a bit of a sour taste. Yeah, it really does. And it is, as many people have said, not exactly the greatest of timings to even do the interview while he was already in hospital because that's not, let's not forget, that was the timing. They went and did, they recorded the interview knowing that Prince Philip was already in hospital. And some people will say that that uh, underlines the, the criticism of them not being thinking or at least thinking only of themselves. And I think another thing that sits uncomfortably with audiences here, certainly, is the notion that they've gone through a terrible time when right. so many millions of people have been, up, you know, stuck in lockdown and lots and lots of people lost their lost, businesses, lost their businesses, lost members of their family without being able to say farewell or even hug them. Uh, and I think that uh, a bit of perspective uh, would not go amiss. No, quite. Let's talk a bit about the budget. Rishi Sunak will be pleased to know he still made most of the front pages, despite the uh, bombshell news from California. Um, I think he did a pretty good job. I, mean, I put out a message on Twitter last night saying that, uh, with apologies to anyone who hasn't felt that they were helped out by this budget and who, who feels like they're one of those who hasn't been rescued by the various uh, schemes that, that Rishi Sunak has put out there. I think he did a pretty good job. I think he covered over most of the bases. I gave him a sort of 7 out of 10. I think that's a fair uh, number, actually. There, there's a two parts of this story. The first is, what is he doing today? Because we're still not out of pandemic. Uh, and so he was keeping spirits up uh, and he was keeping taxes on spirits down. Right. And he was making sure that people can continue to uh, survive and, and hopefully begin to build a way out of this pandemic. And the second bit was, I think, the much more concerning thing uh, from a longer term perspective, that, which is how he's going to reclaim the money over time. Now, let's start by saying he had no choice but to find a way of dealing with the pain. There was always going to be a hangover. Mm. And uh, we know that over the medium term, there will be uh, lots of money brought back. £407 billion is the cost of this pandemic. Yeah. That's a number which you say quickly and you forget. But uh, to, to our listeners this morning, this is eye-watering sums of money, the like of which we've not seen. And uh, the tax rise on, on businesses, which will come in in two years' time, is the biggest since anything in my lifetime or your lifetime. Yeah. And that means the shadow of this pandemic is going to be cast for generations to come. My kids, your kids, and their kids will still be paying this off in years to come. And my biggest concern, Mike, uh, as somebody who believes in a small state and uh, and growth and enterprise and people being able to keep as much of their money as, they, as they've earned, is that over time it will become normal for even conservative governments to believe in a bigger state, more interference uh, and more dabbling and, and poking into people's affairs, which I think is largely unhealthy. But mm. uh, I guess the Chancellor had very little option today. And it was very interesting to see, of course, Keir Starmer, the Labour opposition leader, had very little criticism because it would have been a budget that he could easily have made. Oh, absolutely right. Because the problem for Keir Starmer is that he agrees pretty much with all government policy. Uh, he just thinks they should have done it a little bit quicker and a little bit sooner and a bit longer and, uh, and further ago. Um, I was listening to Annalise Dodds this morning, banging on about how, you know, their return to 25% um, corporation tax is something that they've uh, has, has signalled that they've realised they made a mistake in the past by lowering it. I don't think that's true at all. I think they lowered it in the past because they could and because economic, uh, you know, environments allowed them to do so. If they do put it up to 25%, which I'm still not certain they will, um, I'm not sure it's a good idea. And I'm not sure that, that companies will actually end up providing them with more money. 
So this is one of the really big uh, issues in all of this. You know, it is obviously quite easy to say, oh, big businesses with all their deep pockets, they should uh, carry the, the burden and, and pay higher in taxes. They can afford it. But that overlooks a critical point in the business cycle, which is what you need is businesses to carry on growing. If a business doesn't keep growing, then it ultimately dies. Growth is critical in business and growth comes from investing money that you've already earned or borrowing money to invest in the future. That's how jobs are created. It's how new markets grow. It's how innovation happens, how we begin to have things like, I mean, going back 15 years ago, the, the iPhone and all the innovation that we need for a net zero world, all of that costs huge sums of money. And if companies are paying it in tax, then it's going to be a restriction in their appetite to spend more on investment. What I do think was very good was that it's called a super deduction uh, that the Chancellor announced yesterday, which is worth 40 billion pounds, which is a huge number. Uh, and it's much overlooked in the budget. That will allow businesses to invest and get a tax rebate for, for investing. And, and that really will encourage business leaders to make the investments that uh, this country really, really needs businesses have to grow for the economy to grow. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And so are you concerned at all about the, uh, the the sort of the fiscal drag that they're referring to? I mean, I don't really care that much about the fact that he's frozen uh, income tax uh, thresholds. I, I think that's a kind of a, uh, a lefty argument that's being made to make out that he's trying to get more tax out of people stealthily. I don't see it that way. Well, he had to do something, and what he's done is uh, something which is uh, probably the minimal effect that he can have on people who are hardworking families in this country. Uh, somebody has to pay, everybody has to pay, and the fiscal drag is basically making sure that the allowances that normally go up by inflation each year so you can keep a little bit more of your earnings will be frozen. Mm. So you'll carry on with the same pay packet uh, effectively for the next few years, but, you know, the alternatives would have been a lot, lot worse. And don't forget, five million people still on furlough, lots of uh, uh, freezes to uh, petrol and diesel duty, freezes to alcohol and other measures to try and stimulate the economy right now. It was not a perfect scenario. And anybody who stood uh, at the dispatch box yesterday in that gig had a hell of a job to do and, mm. and fair play to Rishi. And he came across as a, an assured, confident figure uh, sympathetic, you know, the free ports that he's opened up, that's going to generate growth. So as I said to you before on this show, Mike, it's all about growing our way out of this hole. Um, and that is the most successful thing we can do. And I think he's probably got the balance about right. I think so. Um, and I think uh, we said yesterday before he got up to speak that this was quite an important budget, not just for the nation, but also for the government and also perhaps for Rishi Sunak's career. And I don't think he's done his career any harm whatsoever uh, by sort of showing himself to be a relatively steady hand. I mean, everybody knows there's a team behind him, but he's a very good front man. Um, he's very self-assured. He was very good, I thought, in the press briefing uh, where he got thrown a couple of curveballs by a couple of dodgy characters in the journalistic profession. Uh, and he answered them very easily very well and with great confidence yeah and he's uh, a very young man r relatively speaking Com to compared to us yeah <laughs> certainly compared to us everybody is and i think that uh, he he has got that maturity he's got energy um he's prepared to, to be slightly unorthodox particularly for a conservative figure uh he's got that confidence and he's got a first rate brain he understands the business world he's been in banking for a long time um you know, and I think that his mission really is to, is to 
do a really good job in the treasury and who knows what will come. Um, but um, I wouldn't have be surprised at all if you will see him uh, you know, running for the leadership of the Conservative Party one day. Mm. And there are those in Downing Street who are slightly fearful of that, I think, because, um, you know, everybody knows that Boris Johnson is a bit of a, um, a difficult figure to figure out in some ways. You never quite know what he's going to do next. You never quite know. I mean, if, if Boris Johnson walked in uh, to a press briefing tomorrow and said, I've decided to step down as prime minister, you and I wouldn't be surprised, would we? Well, absolutely. He can uh, surprise all of us at any given time. He can turn on the sixpence. I personally think that uh, Boris is much more um, measured now than he has been in the last year. I think he's found a more stable footing. Uh, and I think when we come out of this COVID uh, pandemic, he will have a program uh, that he will focus on, which will be largely about infrastructure, rebuilding Britain physically. And I think that will be a good thing for him. He's, he's a great builder, is Boris. Um, I remember him in the 2012 uh, London Olympic Games when he was the mayor of London. That's his big shtick. And I think we'll see lots of uh, that kind of work going on in this country, which is good. Good for jobs, good for investment. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, Rishi Sunak has time on his side uh, to build a team. Don't forget, you can't really be Conservative Party leader unless you've got a strong support base around you. And I think that's the thing that he will be thinking about working on now. Of course, it's difficult for him to do that with members of parliament not being able to socialise uh, in the normal way and meet each other. But for now, it's a question of being competent, that people like the look of him, uh, that he understands what his, what his mission is, and he can continues to uh, communicate with confidence. And I think that's what he's doing. And, and uh, really, that's the way forward for him. Yeah, I think absolutely right. And do you worry about September when it comes? If, if I mean, the thing about September for me is that it could be completely different by the time September rolls around. You know, we might have an economy which is booming. Uh, you know, the, uh, the the hospitality business might might well have got uh, well opened up. We're hearing um, a lot of restaurants and pubs are, are ready to open on April the 5th because they can now serve outside. Uh, I personally know a lot of people who are already preparing for that. I've personally booked a table uh, at a restaurant in Kensington for, for the night of Monday the 12th um, and I think by September we could be looking at a very different kind of uh, uh, economic environment. And a lot of people would say a lot of the commentators are making that point this morning that the Chancellor's uh, budget yesterday was predicated on there being continued gloom for many many years but the fact that we've got a vaccine and, and I think that there's a good chance of us having a treatment as well pretty mm. soon uh, and the vaccine is, is actually now showing to be uh, that it works does give us a real opportunity to get back to a real normal that does include this coiled spring. And the coiled spring will, as uh, officials said yesterday, could well have people bouncing back with a real zeal and a mission to spend money. Suddenly the tills are awash with money. And we think, this is great. Why are we condemning ourselves to a much greater state spending uh, and taxation? So let's hope that that's where we are. Uh, of course, September is a really difficult point because that's when furlough will end and the tap will be turned off. And if you're an employer, you have to make a big decision about what you do with staff then. Uh, if you're a member of staff, you're worried about your future, of course, it's a real anxiety period over the summer. We mustn't forget that real people with real anxiety uh, between now and then mm. are genuinely worried about what's going to happen to their future. So we, what we really hope more than anything else is that the business community steps up, has courage, invests that foreign businesses see that Britain as a brilliant place now out of the European Union to invest mm. 
a freewheeling uh, economy where we can really get behind entrepreneurs, make money, create jobs and grow as a nation. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. But in your heart of hearts, George, you know, in your darker moments when you sit at home uh, in your lavish living room thinking to yourself, will we ever see the Britain that I remember? Will we ever see it, do you think? I mean, will I walk through um, the West End ever again and see throngs of tourists walking up and down Covent Garden streets and shopping? I mean, it seems a very long way off to me. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And it does worry me because I can't even imagine it now because, you know, it's everybody's second nature now mm. to to wear a, a face covering, to step around each other mm. just in case and, and all these important things. But it feels like it's kind of seeped into the culture now. I hope that, of course, we go back to what we had before and, and then even better what we had before, hopefully, because, you know, Brexit happened um, when we were going through this pandemic. And what I mean by that is that I want us to have a, a, a more energetic economy. Mm. Um, but I do worry that people's behaviour, for absolutely normal and understandable reasons, will make them think twice about going to the theatre, going to a restaurant, going to a concert, getting on the, the train or the, or the bus or the tube or whatever. And I hope that in some way that the vaccines and the treatments and the brilliant work that the NHS and the consultants and the surgeons and the nursing staff have done means that people have the confidence to get back and i hope that confidence comes back quickly and we can begin to effectively trust each other and trust life absolutely let me ask you finally george about the doings uh, yesterday up in edinburgh eight hours of testimony from uh, nicola sturgeon the first minister pretty unprecedented um, amount of scrutiny on her for the first time ever really what did you make of her performance first of all and has she done enough do you think to save her job well, I think there were two amazing political performances yesterday. One we've mentioned by Rishi Sunak, mm. but this one by uh, Nicola Sturgeon was extraordinary. I've never seen a politician uh, being grilled for that length of time. No. It was endless, relentless. And by and large, she kept her cool. In fact, in many times, she seemed relaxed, yeah. under fire, very confident about mm. her position. She was rattled two or three times. Who wouldn't be in an eight-hour session? Um, but it goes to uh, something in her soul. There's a steel... I think, in Nicholas Sturgeon, which we've seen before. Uh, and it helps explain the, the really strong sense in the government that she is running things and people do as she says. And mm. that's a formidable strength uh, for any leader to have. Uh, and, and it's good normally. Uh, what, what I think is also interesting is the, the sheer level of incompetence in Scottish governance yeah. means that even yesterday there wasn't a a powerful or successful attack on her. Uh, and I think that she will live to, to fight another yes. day. Well, we shall see. Fascinating times, though. George Pascoe Watson, thank you very much indeed. Chairman of Portland Communications, former political editor, of course, of The Sun. Our poll is out, by the way, uh, so please do go and vote. There's a one on Talk Radio. Uh, there's one on my Twitter feed as well at the moment. Should we strip Harry and Meghan of their British citizenship now? Yes, 73%. I thank you. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Do please go to my Twitter account at IROMG and or uh, the Talk Radio Twitter account. Both of them have got a poll uh, running currently on whether uh, we should be stripping Harry and Meghan of their British citizenship. Look, I know there's a couple of pedants out there of you who are saying, oh, yeah, but Meghan's not actually a citizen. Doesn't matter point is she's married to a member former member of the royal family if she wanted to become a british citizen she could become one 
It may well be tricky. She might have to jump through a few hoops. She might have to go down to Luna House in Croydon and hang about with all the other people who want to become British citizens. But I really don't think so. My point is this. We've had enough of them. We're sick to death of them. Uh, if they're that tired and, and uh, upset about what happened to them while they were here, then fine. Let them stay where they are and let them no longer be citizens of this great nation. Should the UK strip Harry and Meghan of their citizenship uh, on the talk radio poll, 64% yes, 36% no. Let us talk now to Ruth Lee, CBE, economist, of course, a woman of some renown. Let's get her view of what Rishi Sunak's budget has done for Britain. Ruth, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I won't uh, bore you with a question about Harry and Meghan, but uh, you may answer it if you wish. But uh, let's talk first of all about Rishi Sunak. Uh, what he did yesterday, I thought, was about as good of a job as he could have done, really. Yes, I thought it was a very, uh, very professional job. And I like the way that he divided his policy measures. And my goodness me, it wasn't a huge, extensive list of policy measures into three particular groups. The first one was rescue. In other words, extending the furlough scheme and the uh, 20 pounds uh, uplift on universal credit, et cetera, et cetera, because the, the, the damage to the economy continues, as of course we continue to have these lockdown restrictions on our economy. The second aspect of his budget, he was talking about repair. And this one, of course, unfortunately means higher taxation. It means that we want to we'll have a tax to GDP ratio that is the highest since probably the late 1960s with Roy Jenkins, which actually I do faintly remember. And of course, the, 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 the core of that increase in the, um, in the tax increases is, is, um, is the increase in the corporation tax, mm. which is really quite, um, quite controversial. And then, of course, the third aspect of his um, policy measures was this idea of recovery, especially investment-led recovery. And he came out with these extraordinarily generous investment allowances to try and bring investment forward into this year and next year uh, and in order to get the economy going. But I, I thought on the whole that it was a very well-structured budget. But I must admit, I still worry Yes, of course I worry. I worry about the amount of debt that we have in this country. It, it, you know, this last year we had, what, £350 billion uh, worth of borrowing. Uh, for the, the financial year coming up, you're talking about still having about £270 billion borrowing, which is 10% of GDP. It's absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. And um, it's all right being able to finance this, this debt while interest rates are low. But as we all know, and as the OBR has been pointing out, that when the interest rates start to rise, then you'll find it much more costly to actually finance the debt. So yes. budget, but worries. Yes. Is there a danger that that could happen sooner rather than later? For example, a lot of what he's done uh, this week will, will not really take effect until September. Uh, much of the furlough scheme, if we get to September and it suddenly stops, might result in, in a bit of a, a sort of a depression almost for an awful lot of people who might lose their jobs. What do you see happening in September um, in terms of interest rates and in terms of where we will be economically? Well, economically, um, assuming that Boris Johnson's roadmap is actually stuck to, and actually I'd love it to be accelerated, let's be honest about this. Let's hope so. We, 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 we're still waiting until I think it's the 12th of April to go and have a haircut. And I mean, look at my hair, for goodness sake, but that's enough. <laughs> Listen, it's um, not as bad as mine, Ruth, I can tell you that. <laughs> and we're also talking about you know, non-essential shops opening. We're talking about pubs being able to serve people out, outside. You know, and that's still five or six weeks ago. So let's hope that these restrictions are lifted a little bit quicker. <clears throat> but assuming that they are lifted, I suspect the economy should begin to bounce back reasonably 
strongly in the second and third quarters of this year. Uh, I mean, Andy Haldane, who's the chief economist of the Bank of England, talks about the economy being like a coil spring. Mm. Well, maybe, but there's certainly a lot of savings. People have had enforced savings that they will surely want to go out and spend. So I would expect the economy to start picking up. But unfortunately, I suspect that unemployment will still rise. And indeed, the OBR is expecting it, I think, to peak at about six and a half percent, which we're five percent now. So they're still talking about another one and a half percent on on unemployment rates. Interest rates, well, obviously, when it, as you probably know, in the bond market, bond guilt yields have been rising actually quite sharply recently mm. because of concerns about inflation in the United States of America. But um, whether the bank, Bank of England, that is, starts to raise the bank rate, which at the moment is 0.1%, I think that we're a very long way away from the, the bank rate going up. Right. And now that we're out of the European Union, is that helping us now as we go forward? Because obviously in Europe, uh, they've got many problems economically. Uh, they've got less money in the EU than they did have when we were in there. Uh, they've got a less well rolled out vaccine programme. So they're going to be lagging behind, I would imagine, on opening up their economies. Um, are we better off now because we can recover without them? Well, I would say I, yes. I mean, I would say that, wouldn't I? Because I was a Brexiter. I understand that there are problems uh, about leaving the European Union. There's disruption. I accept that. And I'm really very concerned about what's happening to the Northern Ireland Protocol, yeah. uh, which does seem to be a bit of an intractable problem, if I may say so, at the moment. But the, the advantage of being outside the European Union is that we're able to make our own decisions. Perhaps some of the decisions during this pandemic have not been so good, but some of them have been brilliant. Mm. And there's no doubt that the vaccine program has been a terrific success. I've had my first one. I'm presumably waiting for my second one. And um, it, it was, it's been interesting that certainly the British press have been carrying stories from the German press yes. to say that, you know, why aren't we more like the British? You know, they're the stars of this. And indeed, you see more and more of the EU countries sort of breaking free and doing their own thing and going off to Russia, getting the Sputnik vaccine and this sort of right. thing. So, you know, independence, uh, ability to make your own decisions like this has clearly been helpful. Yes, quite. And let's go back for a moment to the corporation tax rate as well. Um, Annalise Dodds from Labour has said that this proves that uh, they got it wrong in the past, the Tories, by lowering the rate of corporation tax. I don't think that's true. Um, but is this going to be quite damaging to corporations, will they start to think about moving elsewhere? Well, this is always the, the danger. And I was very much in favour of cutting corporation tax down to 19%. Mm. And of course, it was meant to go down to 17%. But that was cancelled in the last budget. Yeah. You know, that was essentially cancelled at the time of the Conservative Party manifesto at the end of 2019. So, but And to jump it up from 19% to 25%. It's a big hike, isn't it? Is a huge increase. But then you, you can see in a way why Rishi Sunak has done this, because he's so desperate, desperate, desperate to raise to raise tax. And it's actually quite a good means of raising tax. But it comes at an economic price of making us less competitive, not least of all for international um, foreign direct investment. Yeah. So um, I'm, I sort of looked at this increase in corporation tax with, with regret. 
with big regret. Yes, because it also but, damages yeah. what, what I worry about is it is not so much the bigger companies because they will do what they want no matter what government policy is really. But I'm more worried about the small businesses of this country who have taken a hell of a battering over the last year and who are already being squeezed because of the way that the tax system has kind of... Um, demonstrated against them, if you like, and conspired against them because, you know, there's now a tax on dividends, there's now a tax on uh, all sorts of things that there didn't used to be a tax on if you're running a, a small company. And if they now make the, 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 the profits even more attackable by tax, they're really squeezing people. Well, of course, Rishi Sudak did address this issue yesterday in his speech because he's got a small profits um, exemption to the increase to 25%. Um, he's, he's leaving that rate at, at 19%. But even so... And what is that up to? I take your point that uh, any tax increases are a problem, but we're in a big hole. I mean, there, there is no doubt about the debt that we're in a very big hole. Mm. And unfortunately, something's got to give. Um, I mean, I wish we weren't here, but we are. And we're here with a you know big state, big tax economy, yeah. which... Uh, you would hardly ever have believed if we talked about this um, <laughs> 18 months ago. No, and let's hope it's not permanent. Um, but would you say um, that you're more likely to believe the Bank of England's pro, uh, sort of, uh, forecast that, that there will be a big bounce back into the economy and it could rise by as much as 10% next year? Well, I think um, the Bank of England has been optimistic, obviously, all the way through. And Holiday and relatively optimistic, should I say. But I, I, there is a very big... Uh, extra savings. People have been saving hugely during the pandemic. They've not been able to go out and spend it. It's as simple as that. And Andy Haldane is saying, you know, you could you could find 50 billion, 100 billion increase in in, in consumers' spending uh, this year, which is a very big big slice of uh, funding. Believe me. And I mean, we the trouble is with forecasting, and I've been at this ridiculous game for more years than I care to remember, is that. No, nobody's forecasts are going to be right in the sense the numbers are going to be absolutely right. But I think the sense of direction will be that once these restrictions are lifted, and my goodness me, don't we want these restrictions oh, yes. lifted, then I would expect people to, to feel much better, go out and spend, and I would expect the economy to start improving. Good stuff. Ruth, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Ruth Lee, CBE economist there uh, with a hopeful view of what the world will look like uh, in six months time. September will come, of course, and that is when uh, a lot of chickens may come home to roost as far as Rishi Sunak is concerned. But like I said, I think uh, most of what he did yesterday was good. Uh, I'd rather he hadn't put taxes up at all, but I know that somehow uh, somewhere that has to be done to some extent. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Don't forget, go to our Twitter account uh, at Talk Radio. Go to my Twitter account as well uh, because there are two polls currently. There's a third poll going on at YouTube. And I tell you what, they're all going in the same direction. 66% on the Talk Radio Twitter poll say, yes, uh, we should be stripping Harry and Meghan of their UK citizenship. Now, I'm not going to ask every single guest who comes on the show today, whether I'm right about this. But I am going to ask our next guest, Howard Cox, who is a fine man, uh, a great patriot of this nation, co-founder of Fairfield UK. He got a bit of a boost in the budget yesterday. Howard, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. It's great to be on your show. As great you. to have you back. Listen, um, I'm sure you would be in agreement with me that we should... I'm fed up with these two bozos in California. <laughs> I think we strip them of British citizenship right now, today. No more. Uh, I don't care what they say about us, but I don't think they're welcome anymore. Well, I just voted on your poll, your own one on your Twitter account. And guess what I put there? Yes. I'm on your side, my friend. Brilliant. Excellent (laughs) stuff. Now, you're a man who knows how to put up a good fight because you have been fighting this fuel tax hike for a very long time, writing pieces in newspapers, The Sun and The Express, notably. Um, Tell us about your fight and and how you managed to win it. Well, I I mean, I think it's it's been 10 years now. It's unprecedented to get a fuel duty or any levy or any tax to be frozen for such a long time. Mm. I mean, it's not been without its, uh, uh, well, I, hurdles is the understatement. There's been a lot of people out there, and there's even a lot of uh, uh, previously long-term supporters saying it's about time that drivers pay more. But what they forget, and you know, and I'm being attacked, as you know, on Twitter by the Greens and the cycles, oh, the yeah. militant cyclists, who right. really go yeah. to me, it's about time the drivers pay for the youth. This, it's terrible. They forget that we're the, the highest tax drivers in the world. They forget that we deliver the fifth largest income to the Treasury. They forget that nearly 70% of what goes into the tank already is taxed. Yeah. All these sorts of things, and we only get 12% back from, there's no hypothecation in terms of the tax usage, only 12% goes back into the, the roads. And and look at the potholes, which impacts on cyclists and, of course, yes. electric vehicle drivers who don't pay any tax. 
Yeah, I'll tell you what, I had the worst experience of my life, and I've had a few driving around London yesterday, Howard. I had to go from here to Harley Street. I got in my car. Uh, it said on the sat I don't need a sat to get to Harley Street. It said 20 minutes, right? Do you know, I was stuck on Marylebone, uh, on, on Euston Road, rather, for 20 yeah. minutes. Um, and I thought, I can't sit here. It's not moving. So I, I sort of moved off. And as I looked over to my right, of course, there's the old tented village with all those yeah. idiotic, uh, you know, Extinction Rebellion types dig digging tunnels <laughs> underneath Houston <laughs> Station, you know, and Swampy was there and all that. I, I took off to try and get around the back of Bloomsbury, back up Tottenham Court Road. Do you know you can't drive up Tottenham Court Road anymore uh, north unless you're in a, on a cycle or in, in you're a bus? And they've now made Bloomsbury Street a two-way street, which used to be one way coming south. Cycle lane on either side. You can't turn left or right. It's absolutely unbelievable. Well, just talk to any taxi driver and say oh that getting God. to London is impossible. I mean, oh, we've got a lot of taxi driver supporters, and, we, and I, I'd like to thank them for their support in this. It's been yes. incredible. And what a lot of them tell me, Howard, whenever I'm in them, is that they can't any longer now pick up disabled passengers because there's oh. no curb for them to pull up in because there's a bleeding cycle lane in the way. Well, it's flipping dangerous for them to get close to the curb now. Mm. <laughs> That's the irony of the, the situation, right. because these cyclists are going on at 25 mile an hour straight into them. Right. Sorry, the, the two or three that use the cycle lane. Now. Oh, yes, the ones that aren't just going along on the road because they fancy doing that as well. It is extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, you must be feeling like you're fighting a losing battle every single day, Howard. Yes, it, it is. It's very, very hard. I mean, there's, there's, there's a bigger picture here. It's not just the cost of motoring. I mean, we're going to continue to fight that. And I have to say thank you. Boris Johnson on here because he was one of the people that she told the Sun the day before that the uh, there's no way uh, fuel duty is going up because he wants to keep white van man white van woman as well mm. uh, on side etc because they're going to be very responsible for post -pan uh, pandemic uh, economic recovery. One of the things that uh, uh, the, the problem was was that uh, Rishi Sunak and way back in the uh, middle of last year I found out as did the Sun as well from the Treasury contact that Rishi wanted to put it up five pence. Right. So there was an internal battle there, and Boris won that. And I, I'd like to say publicly now, thank you, Boris Johnson. Yes, well, that's very good. I think Rishi's budget, generally speaking, was a good one yesterday. I mean, obviously, yes, we've still got to worry about the long-term kind of green revolution that Boris is planning, you know, thanks to his new fiancée, uh, who'd like to see everybody, <laughs> you know, driving around in electric bikes or something, you know. But, um, I mean, that's the next battle, isn't it? That's going to be what we have to fight big time and long-term. Absolutely. And we host COP26 back in November. I've, I'm teaming up with a lot of the other uh, kindred sort of motoring groups, etc. Mm. And as you know, I'm backed by the Road Haulage Association, the Freight Transport Association, the really commercial heartbeat of actually getting our economy moving. Yeah. And there's no way you can have a 40 ton, 80 ton truck on electric, uh, uh, being driven by electric uh, batteries. Right. The batteries would weigh five times more than the vehicle itself. <laughs> Those are the sorts of things we're talking about. Mm. We just got to have some common sense. What we're pushing for now and, and we'd love your help on this, is actually to ask government to actually talk to people like us, us in, you know, myself, Fairfield mm. UK. We, we've become very familiar, very expert in what matters on our, how we use our roads. Yeah. And we need yeah. a long-term road user strategy. There hasn't been one in any government. Everyone messes about with it. Hang on, there's a soft target. It's good old motorists. They'll yeah. always pay up. No problems at all. Well, do you know what I'll do, Howard? Not only will we support you, but what I'll do is we'll organise a head-to-head -head debate between you and a member of the government uh, on what they should be doing going forward. And they can give their point of view and you can give yours. What do you reckon? Thank you very much, Mike. That would be fantastic. One of the problems we do have, the big, big problem at the moment, is uh, I've been interviewed by loads of newspapers in the last uh, 48 hours mm. and radio stations and some of your competitors, but not one 
uh, national TV. No BBC, no ITV, no Channel 5, 4 or Sky right. have actually made anything. 37 million people drive. They all pay television licences and they're ignored. Well, Why you is know what? I'll tell you what's wrong with uh, television reporting in this country. Channel 4 News the other night, right, they did a report on an ICU unit somewhere. I think it was up in Nottinghamshire, right? And the, the yeah. woman who did the report said, there's only three people now left in the ICU, but they're not very well. And you go, well, that's because they're in the ICU, darling. You know, I mean, what is going on? Anyway, listen, Howard, great to see you. Good to talk to you. We'll get on to that head-to-head organised uh, debate that we can properly do. And well done once again for freezing the fuel duty for all 37 million people in this country who drive vehicles. They are the majority. It's all very well talking about cycling in electric vans and electric bikes. The most uh, used vehicles in this country are not driven by electricity. They are driven by fossil fuels. I'm sorry if you don't like that. Sorry if you think we're killing your future. But that's the reality of life. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've got another poll on YouTube, uh, which is currently raving uh, uh, very, very high up the charts of, uh, yes, 68% of you want to see uh, Harry and Meghan stripped of British citizenship. I think it's an absolutely brilliant idea of mine, uh, which I had this morning uh, just before we decided to start this show. Uh, It seems to be causing a bit of uh, anxiousness and anxiety among some of the wokery out there. But never mind. Uh, You can feel free to vote on the talk radio poll, uh, which is obviously where you've all gone, because that's the one which says no to very large numbers of you, uh, because you've been alerted to it by some wokest. No worries. The real poll is on YouTube. The real poll uh, is on my Twitter as well, of course, and which is very, very firmly in favour of stripping them uh, of any kind of ties to this country whatsoever. After all, they hate Britain. So why would they want to be part of it? They don't want to be here. They're giving their interview to Oprah Winfrey on Sunday night, and you'll soon see uh, what sort of nastiness they come out with about this country and about the royal family. They're already saying that the palace talked falsehoods about them. Let's talk to Lewis McLeod and get some perspective on the madness that's going on. Lewis, a very good morning to you. Uh, Good morning, mate. How are you? I'm very well indeed. There's a very, very uh, rich vein of comedy to be had uh, through uh, Nicola Sturgeon, (laughs) Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak and his budget, Harry and Meghan. I mean, it's all going on. And it's all so confusing. Isn't it just? I mean, I don't know any longer whether uh, Nicola Sturgeon broke the ministerial code or not. What does uh, Ian Blackford have to say about it? Well, Mr Squeaker, let me be very honest here. What we wanted was the truth and we had eight hours of it. Not only did we give you, Mr Squeaker, the truth, we gave you a Netflix series. I mean, eight hours. I mean, I... Even I, I I didn't know what to do with my time. I built a sofa <laughs> and another suit that I could wear. Um, I, yeah, kept, I, I, I kept looking up at the screen thinking it was just that they were playing the highlights of it, but in fact she was still on. <laughs> she was still on, I know. <laughs> Nicola Sturgeon, morning, noon and night. Mm. I mean, she's on the telly more than Jeremy Vine, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I didn't hear anything from Alex Salmond yesterday. Is he going to make a statement? Oh, no, he's... Uh... It's like Batman, in it? Atop the Umbrella Factory, the Sinister Penguin. Well, let me just say here, I'm going to throw in a pineapple right there in the middle of it and suggest that names were named <laughs> and walk away. Um, yeah, very confusing. And the terminology, I mean, I'd never heard the term counterfactual, but I must have heard it a thousand times in that uh, brief... What does that mean? Counterfactual, yeah. um, opposite to the facts. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Another way of... Well, is that another way of saying a lie, then? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Well, it was, it, it felt that, uh, there was one moment actually where I felt, I wish the two of them would just sort of certain make up because yes. otherwise 
it's going to drag the party down uh, badly. But uh, and the country, to be honest, and absolutely, of course, yeah. And she, it felt that she was. She was sort of edging towards that. There was a there was a moment with the voice. I thought she's not going to start crying, but it got a little bit emotional. She got a bit for emotional her, a bit, didn't she? Yeah, which which was actually. I mean, I think it probably did her more good um, than it did him, to be honest. And why why do you say that? Well, just because she came across as a bit more human than she normally does. Because when she does those briefings, <laughs> she comes across yeah. uh, as a bit of a robot. She doesn't look like she has any feelings. She just all she knows about is shutting everything down and not opening. Well, that was up. Salmon's criticism, wasn't it? He right. was saying that you know, uh, to basically that uh, to use a COVID briefing to talk about a, a, a very very serious uh, breach of the ministerial code potentially. Mm. It's like yeah, if she was a robot, there's been maybe the program has been kind of malfunctioning a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anybody that could talk for eight hours and only take three sips of water has got to be a machine. Yeah, exactly right. And she didn't get up at any point, did she? I didn't see that anyway. But I mean. That's, uh, that's, another, that's another story. I know. Well, I thought you meant she was sleeping. Her husband's going, come to bed. It's only eight in the morning. Come on. No, but he can't remember anything, though, him, can he? Because he's so oh, no, you know, the, the, if you just If you just say to him in the morning, I was home all night, he, 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 won't, he wouldn't know the difference, you know. I watched the TV. I made a meal. Yes. Did I have a meal? Do we have a television? Do we live in a house? Yes. I can't answer that. Um, I may answer <laughs> it incorrectly. What about Murdo <laughs> Fraser, who's a man who, if he was any more vanilla, uh, would be on the top of an ice cream cone? Oh well, is he, is he the guy that was Salmon's was, uh, campaign was, manager? In no, no, he's no, he's the Tory guy who's asking the questions, but he's oh, right. very dull. Oh, but they were they, were, they did this. The Jackie Bailey was a bit. And good luck with that. I think. Well, <laughs> you know where they come away with phrases. Well, of course. I, so I know the guy. He was all about the hands, uh. wasn't he? And of course, if we could do that, which we probably won't. It did. There was some sort of element that it didn't feel as serious as it really is. They mm. were kind of loose with their. With our tongues, yes. you know. No, they were. Well, they were completely incapable of nailing a, a proper question on her, really, which would, which would yeah. have forced her to answer kind of yes or no. I mean, you know, I would have just been, first question, have you broken the ministerial code, yes or no? Just give yeah. us a straight answer. They never seem to well, ask Ruth that Davidson's question. going for it, isn't she? I mean, she they're gunning for all that. She sort of, I watched the Channel 4 news, like they were just listing all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, as a thing, well, you know, it was just eight hours of obfuscation. That thing about the date, there seems to be one month missing yes. from the records. Why can't they just provide that information and let's get on with it? Yeah. Well, you, you know, think just... it would be this difficult, wouldn't you? I mean, you know, a yeah. million pounds later, we still haven't got any answers. Yeah. But that was the thing she said, you know, of all the people, I may have offended people and if, and I'm deeply sorry about that, but the, if I had done it slightly differently, I would be criticised for that as well. It was very box-ticky for me. It was all that... Um, just a, a very slickly done, I have to say. I mean, mm. eight hours, I still I can't get my head around that. I mean, Bill Clinton didn't go, go in front of the <laughs> committee for that. Look, guys, I have to go here. I got golf in a couple of hours. Look, <laughs> sweat. Um, uh, you you know, probably missed the Oliver. You're probably too young to remember the Oliver North hearings about uh, uh, Iran Contra. Which and I remember his in, face. Yeah, in the, in the, he, was, he was he was that guy. But then we had that great lawyer um, who <laughs> yeah. kept who kept interrupting and and who said at one point famously. I am not a potted plant, Senator. <laughs> everyone went, really? Okay, then. That's no, no, fine. I've just gone to seed. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, Rishi? I mean, he made a bit of a name for himself yesterday. Big, uh, big yeah, budget, talk about budget for the generation. Absolutely. I mean, I was watching them. And again, you can't help it. You know, I mean, you watch them, how they deliver their mm. oratory and what they, what, they, what they sound like. and whatnot. But he never said, um, uh, ah, uh, Very once. professional. Once. Farage was sitting there going, I think he's, I think he's obviously been watching me for I've got to say. <laughs> I've got to remember that I know. But he, he, that was a, a budget that I felt, OK, there's friends of mine. I'm a freelancer myself. Uh, felt that the grant was a year too late. Mm. 
but you kind of expected some give and the corporation tax going up you know what was it uh, Corbyn wanted 26% yes. he's done 25 right. but it's not until 2023 so it feels like he's given companies time and it will only be uh, the big you know big industries that seem to be getting that 25% I think there's 70% that right. are not going to get the, the full 25 yes. and he's the first chancellor I think who's actually literally grooming himself to be prime minister normally yeah, somebody well, else was... is doing it he's kind of setting himself up as the next prime minister yeah, well, you felt like Keir Starmer, the ITV. Uh, it's sort of about, well, that's great, but Keir Starmer there, very sort of gently trying to ease out of his speech. But he basically said that. He said, you're, you're good, but the guy's sitting to your right. It's hopeless. <laughs> what? what do you mean? I, I mean, I, oh, oh. I've got to say, Boris's mask is a belter. It it's is. pretty much up to his eyelids. Right. I <laughs> he's beginning to look like the penguin yeah, he does also make some very because now you can hear them all because there's so few people in the chamber when you hear that sort of ridiculous voice going oh, oh, and he actually does sound more like you doing him than he does himself <laughs> he's actually the opposition as well I think he's just making noises willy nilly I listen to this man shut your face listen to this boy he's good Yeah, and uh, I thought he did a really uh, astute, well-rounded, brilliant uh, performance of a chancellor trying to look like we're holding the, co the economy together. Still massive borrowing, but the the bottom line was it, it looked like. I mean, I was saying, well, actually, that's that's no half bad, but yeah. just went for it, you know. Yes, and I mean, Rishi, of Good course. Not only does he do, he does this, he does the sort of the full uh, uh, Monty, doesn't he? He doesn't just do the, the budget speech. He does the previous video clip, which goes out and viral the day before. He does. That's the, right. He, and it's important that I mention the right honourable member for North East. And he gives it. And, and, and I hope the family are well. I know you've struggled, but don't worry. Just stick to the vegetarian sausages. They'll come out in the wash. And it's everything. It's the detail. I don't know where he gets it from. And actually, if you watch him, he, I mean, he's, he's turning the page. He's, yeah. He's the pages. And you think, well, he doesn't look like he's reading it. He's a, 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 one of the most skilled auditors I've seen, yeah. actually. Well, this is a guy very, that's done presentations at Goldman Sachs, you know, where they're very used to making up figures and numbers and, and convincing, <laughs> convincing people that whatever it is they're saying, selling is a good idea. It's, it's very important that you just do numbers, Rishi. Imagine the, look, 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 listen, doesn't matter. But what about? But, but you know, we've got to get the facts right. Look, hang with them. Just go nine hundred fifty-five thousand, two hundred fifty-five million, and make sure you ask how the family yeah. are doing. That's I mean, at one point, I was looking at the screen, and they had the num the the amount of the debt that we're in, right? And I couldn't yeah. actually read it on the basis that there were so many numbers, I didn't know how to say it. And <laughs> I, I actually, I actually wrote it down. I'm going to. This is this is what it is, right? But it kept going up also as he was speaking. So it was like that clock they used to have in Times Square, know. you know, for the national debt. Nonsense. So <laughs> here it is: two one four four eight nine three two one seven two zero nine. Sounds like a satellite phone <laughs> number. And apparently, that's how much debt we're in. I know. It's like one of the calculators you used to get in math. Your parents would get you for Christmas. Like, I failed arithmetic O-level twice. And they've given you a calculator that's got more buttons on it. The only thing that was good about my calculator was somebody showed me how to spell shell oil with it. Did you ever do that? Yeah, that's right. Shell, shell oil. That's 1134. It is. Absolutely right. Turn it upside down. Now, speaking of which, let's go across the Atlantic because um, uh, old uh, boring Joe Biden um, is as boring yeah. as you could have expected him to be, isn't he? 
Well, I mean, let's be honest. There's not a lot going on. My supplier, I've, I've not had my my job of sildenafil for a couple of weeks now. I'm feeling very down. Yeah. Come on, guys. Give me one 10 volts anywhere under the armpit. I don't know. And meanwhile, CPAC, let's be honest here, is he coming back? Joe Biden is only implementing the plan that we put in place. Yeah. It's great, isn't it? He's responsible for the recovery of the uh, of the economy and indeed uh, the opening up of the uh, the state of Texas as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I basically, you know, if you've watched the documentary on me on the BBC, they're painting me in a reasonably good light. I'm saving the world from behind the fence, and I'll be back. I'm going to win three times. That's the one he wants to win it. He wants to What's win it against the third time. He'll be the first president in history who's, I'm the first guy, first president. Three times, you watch. The clock is ticking, Joe. Tell me about it. The parcel still hasn't arrived with the blue, the blue pills, you know? He's not, I mean, he looked good, though, Trump. He looked, he looked like he was back to his old self, didn't he? I thought he'd kind of gone for a middle part and it looked like somebody had sort of just sat in his head, you know. Melania, put your hair down! It's, you know, it's got, he's got this thing going. <laughs> he looks like, you know, like he's going to be singing in the choir, you know. It's a new look for me, the singing Trump from Mar-a-Lago. Hallelujah. Oh, God. We'll have to stop. I can't stop laughing. Very funny, Lewis. How's things anyway? What's uh, what's going on up there? What's the latest well, on the freeing up of... When are you going to get to a pub, for heaven's sake? We're being told oh, April 12th. Well, we've got a kitten that's now become a, a sort of teenager and it's right. spraying everywhere. So, <laughs> it's, it's, so in this little booth, it's went in a couple of nights ago and went, how do you think about this? <laughs> so I'm, I'm absolutely getting choked here with the smell of wee. But... Uh, we've got we found it we found it a, a mate. So before we cut its clacker bag off, <laughs> we're going to at least give it the chance to be a father. Yeah, there you and, go. Uh, well, you're all heart. Well, that's all that's the say. drama in our house at the moment. Fantastic. And yes, well done. Feeling well, for a drink. Well, listen, if you haven't got one up there, you might be able to get down here for one on the 12th of April because that's when we're well, told. See, that's uh, the thing. You've at least down there got dates, times, places up yeah. here. It's maybe we might we don't know. I, mm -hmm. We'll get back to you. Ah. You know, I the know. roadmaps become Palmistry up here. Yeah. Well, you see, that's the Canary Islands. That's Ibiza. That's, you know. <laughs> Unbelievable. Good to Glasgow see you, Lewis. Airport. Thank you, you very too, much. Mike. I've got Take tears care. in my eyes, and it's not because I've been crying either. Lewis McLeod, uh, hilarious. Absolutely. What can I say? Uh, it gives us all a lift. It gives us all a smile, which is all uh, that we could do at this particular moment in time. But there is some hope on the horizon, as we say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is that time of the day, 12.32, uh, just after the news, where we talk about homeschooling because, of course, Monday is the day uh, when an awful lot of schools go back. Now, your particular individual child may not be going back on Monday because they're sort of staggering the return in order to sort out uh, all of the various things like testing, uh, the mask-wearing stuff, and in my case, my kids are going back towards the end of the week. Uh, and in some cases, uh, some of your kids won't be going back until a week after next. But anyway, the fact is they're still at home today. Uh, and if you need a bit of a break in the homeschooling scenario, uh, we're about to give it to you because we're about to talk to uh, our favourite man at the Royal Geographical Society, Steve Brace, Head of Education and Outdoor Learning. We're going to talk about Antarctica. Steve, a very good afternoon. Welcome back. And to you, Mike. Good to join you again. Thank you very much indeed. Antarctica, a place that, again, I suppose a lot of people will think they know something about, um, but they may not know quite as much as you know about it. So, so tell us about Antarctica. How did it form? When? How old is it? You know, how, why, why is it there? 
Well, it's the coldest, windiest, driest continent. Um, it's got no permanent inhabitants. I mean, we do have scientific uh, colleagues who go down there during the, the, the various seasons, but no permanent inhabitants. And I think one of the amazing things about Antarctica as well is, even though various countries claimed bits of it, during the, the previous age of exploration, they've set aside all those claims and the, the whole continent's now managed collectively for peace, cooperation and science. So it's one of those really interesting parts of the world as a continent. Yes. So who's actually in charge of it then? Is it a sort of committee? There is um, the Antarctic Treaty that was signed in the early 1960s. Um, and a number of countries came, to, including the UK, came together to do that. And the Antarctic Treaty Convention meets every year and brings together all those collective countries to, to manage the, the continent itself. Right. That's interesting because I sort of remember vaguely somewhere in the, the mists of time, people planting flags and things on it and having little stations there. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly uh, when, you know, probably about 100 years ago now, uh, various explorers went down there and many were involved with the Royal Geographical Society at the time too, Scott and Shackleton and so on. Mm. They planted flags, they claimed sections of, of the, the continent and that happened in the UK, New Zealand, Norway and so on. But what we see, if you still look on some maps of Antarctica, you'll see those territorial claims, but they've been set aside on behalf of behalf of the collective whole right and i mean is it sort of a mineral rich or oil rich or anything like that there's certainly minerals down there um and but it's uh you can't go prospecting uh, you can only use the the continent for science it does have tourists visit every year there's right. about forty thousand tourists obviously not currently with covid but there's about forty thousand tourists visit the the continent every year but it's very much a whole a managed environment and certainly for for tourists who go down they have to be very careful about um you know, you can't interfere with the the wildlife right. and you need to be you know, very sort of uh, mindful of how you're acting. Of course, the yeah. In fact, in I may be wrong about this, but I seem to remember that at one point, Antarctica was the only part of the Earth that didn't have COVID. Yeah, I think um, I think there might have been some Chilean colleagues who... who uh, unfortunately caught COVID, but it was it was quite well protected for quite some time. But mm. it's very remote and not many people go there. So no. that probably helps. Well, that does seem to be the key, doesn't it? And as far as, you know, Scott of the Antarctic, I mean, he's probably the most famous individual um, who was an explorer, yeah. obviously. Tell us about, about him and, and, and what he was able to, to tell us like, effectively. Yeah, well, Scott uh, travelled south uh, two times. Um, the, the the most famous expedition I think people will be aware of was his ill-fated one that him and his colleagues, the, the four of the members of his team died on the way back from, yes. uh, from the South Pole. And at that time as well, there was a Norwegian explorer, Roald Amundsen. And uh, Roald Amundsen arrived at the pole 35 days before Scott. So Scott arrived there and there was a tent there already from Roald Amundsen's expedition and some letters left for Scott and so on. So um, That must have been pretty was, uh, depressing. Can you imagine going all that way and then you go, oh, somebody's put yeah. this to it. One of those great disappointments, I'm sure. And of course, as well as the exploration, uh, these expeditions are also undertaking science. So mm. on the sledge next to the tent of which Scott and his colleague's body was found, there were still 28 pounds of geological specimens. Right. And when they were inspected subsequently, it showed that Antarctica had been connected with other continents previously. Mm. And actually at one time been a very sort of tropical environment. It's oh, really? So it, so it literally sort of detached itself and then kept, and moved to where it yeah. is now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sort of plate tectonics led to its movement. Yeah. Right, that's amazing, isn't it? And is it still moving then? I mean, because I know this is one of those I, questions that, that, that seems idiotic in some ways, but I never know quite what the answer is to that. Yeah, plate tectonics still move things around the, around the Earth. I mean, at the moment, Iceland's got a lot of... Um, 
volcanic and earthquake activity going on, and that's that's due to plate tectonics. Yeah. And the, uh, the Himalayas rise a few millimeters each year. Yes, I've, I've heard that. Movement. Somebody told me the other day yeah. that Everest has grown a couple of inches. Yeah. I think in in the recent couple of hundred years or something. That's right. And so, so technically, could it move even further away from us? Do you think? Well. I mean, the I suppose the the Earth is always in flux because of plate tectonics, mm. and yeah, I think in our lifetime we won't see massive, massive changes. But I suppose the the big change we see actually every year in Antarctica is during the Antarctic winter the sea freezes around the continent yes. itself, and that almost doubles the size of the of the continent right. given the the freezing seas. Right, and wouldn't that supposedly be counter to what we're being told is happening in the North Pole, where where, where the ice is melting? I mean, certainly colleagues at the British Antarctic Survey and other, other scientists such as those involved with the Weddell Sea Expedition, they've recorded changes in the temperature. I mean, what we do know is at the poles, both the North Pole and the South Pole, the, there is higher levels of temperature rises that we don't see so much in, in our temperate latitudes mm. at the poles. So uh, we are seeing those changes um, and they are being recorded in terms of the scientific work. Um, Perhaps not as dramatic as we see in the north currently, but um, but it's certainly certainly occurring in um, in Antarctica. Okay, and tell us about the Weddell Sea expedition that was more recently. Yeah, I mean this this was a, an expedition about this time a, a year or so ago, and we were from the IGS delighted to be part of, of this work. I did travel south; I was in, in the sort of home team. But mm. what the expedition did was take a research ship into the Weddell Sea to do two things: to undertake new scientific work and also to search for the wreck of a previous explorer ship uh, who was uh, Ernest Shackleton, and his ship was called the Endurance. Mm. And back in 1915, that got trapped in the ice and sunk. And Shackleton subsequently got all his team very, uh, all his team safely back home. Amazing, amazing feat that he did. And the Weddell Sea was, was trying to, we know roughly where the, the Endurance went down, trying to trace it using uh, autonomous underwater vehicles oh, wow. and other, other tracking. Yeah. Um, they got close. They didn't quite find it, mm. um, which was a shame. But they also undertook some amazing scientific work in, in the area too. Yeah. And so, is it sort of floating then? Uh, because because another question that people ask, or or, or yeah, is so, it solid? Yeah. The Antarctica is a landmass, so right. you have these massive glaciers on top of the landmass, right. and the the ice in the glaciers is. I think some of the the earliest is almost 800,000 years old in terms of the lowest levels of the ice on the landmass. Some of that ice comes out into the sea in terms of massive ice shelves, mm. uh, which are the glasses we sometimes hear breaking up. And there's one, uh, a piece broken off the, the uh, Brute Glacier about the size of London uh, just recently. Mm. And then, of course, the sea freezes as well beyond that. So it's, it's all those sort of things that come together. Right. And are there any military installations down there at all? No, um, it's it's a continent where there's the, you're not allowed to understand any military activity. There's no nuclear testing or anything like that. So it's uh, the Arctic. It'd be good if they could make the whole Earth like that, wouldn't it? Sorry, I didn't hear that. I said, right, be good, I said it'd be good if they could make the whole Earth like that. Well, <laughs> that'd be quite... <laughs> Quite a change, wouldn't it? It really would. Well, it would solve a lot of problems for a start. Yeah, I think I think it takes slightly more than the Antarctic Treaty to achieve that. (laughs) That's certainly certainly what happens in Antarctica, and all the bases are open bases, so you're entitled to visit whether it's a Chinese base, a Mm. Russian base, a British base. You're entitled to visit those. um, Okay. And as far as as far as if you were to try and get there, what's the sort of what's the way that people mostly go? I mean, I presume you fly somewhere first, do you? Yeah, people often tend to fly in from uh, from Chile into the various bases. Um, obviously, there are um, 
ships that go down and the new ship uh, recently launched by the British Antarctic Survey, RSS Attenborough, which has the Boaty McBoaty, um, Boaty McBoatface. Uh, it's got a, a, an automated sub that's, oh, right, that's okay. part of its its equipment. So that's undergoing sea trials at the moment, and that will subsequently go and uh, undertake scientific work in Antarctica too. And so you're constantly rediscovering and discovering things about the place, really? Yeah, I mean, there's species new to science, people people record there's new changes in the ice shelves and the, the sea ice and there was a team actually just recently um had bored through one of the uh the ice shelves and gone to take samples at the bottom and it was far away from anywhere and they actually found life uh, little sea sponges and some I, i'm going to do them a slight disservice stalky type uh creatures as well mm. and they were saying they were very surprised to find them but uh, nonetheless, they, they discover them, I think it was sort of over 800 metres below uh, below the ice. Wow, amazing. Fascinating. Well, there you go. We've all learned a lot more about Antarctica than we thought uh, we, we ever could learn. Steve, thank you very much indeed. Steve Brace, the Head of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society. Uh, isn't it great that Antarctica is that one part of the Earth which is entirely free of any sort of madness, any kind of crazy government, uh, any kind of ridiculous uh, bylaws and, you know, all sorts of other things that rule the rest of the world? Sometimes you do think that would be good uh, if somebody else could just take over the rest of the world and tell them to stop fighting each other. That would be a big help, wouldn't it? Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Nearly 50,000 people have now voted, by the way, in our poll. Uh, we've got two polls, one on Twitter uh, at Talk Radio, one on Twitter at IROMG, and one on YouTube as well. Overwhelmingly voted yes uh, that Harry and Meghan should be stripped of their British citizenship. Seems to have really upset quite a few wokists, lefties uh, and people, ne'er-do-wells, who are all so kind and compassionate that they're sort of wishing me dead, hoping that I run out of oxygen, you know, hoping that I have some kind of heart attack. They're lovely people, they really are. It's a thought process, people. It's radio. It's what we do. It's how we discuss things. Uh, our poll will still remain open. One of the polls has closed. The one that's been um, attacked by the wokists has now closed. And that one uh, has resulted, I think, in a no for uh, not taking away the uh, citizenship of uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. There have been plenty of pedants out there saying, but she's not a British citizen. That's not really the point. You're missing the point altogether. Uh, but the basic uh, tenant of the, of the poll uh, has resulted in this. 30,954 people voted. Should the UK strip Harry and Meghan of their citizenship? No, 84%. Yes, 16%. But on my poll, it's the other way around. And on the YouTube poll, it's also the other way around. So this one's been hijacked. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.